Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. We're jumping into the book of Ecclesiastes. And the book of Ecclesiastes, honestly, is a wild, wildly, wildly, it's, it's a popular book. You go, it is. It's popular, but not for the reasons that you think. It's not popular for you going, wow, that's just an encouraging, uplifting. As a matter of fact, the birds actually, back in Mel's day, wrote a song, said to everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn, turn. The birds, this is, but, but here's what I want you to see. It was the author, uh, Herman Melville, and, and he wrote Moby Dick, but he called the book of Ecclesiastes the truest of all books. And he would say that you could trust Ecclesiastes, now listen, for this reason, because of the sorrow it has in it. He goes on to say, you can trust a man who's lived a hard life was his rationale. That someone who'd lived a charmed and perfect and never suffered or been bothered, that you can't trust that person. But someone who's bled and suffered and had, and, and had it horrible, you can trust what he says. That was Herman Melville. And so we're going to start the book of Ecclesiastes this evening. One of the words that comes to mind when I think of Ecclesiastes, if you'll go through all 12 chapters, is the word success. We talked about satisfaction, but success. And I started to think about success, and success in life really, if you'll think about it, is a passion um, not only of our generation, but really a generation that's ever lived. We all want to pursue, we want to be successful, we want to have that success. And listen, we all want to be successful. As a matter of fact, with the marketing tools of our time, and it's even more of a dizer. In fact, think about this. You've got companies whose sole job is to motivate you to be successful. Successful. But really, most important is that we want to be successful, not so much in our jobs, if you will, but we want to be successful in life. Successful in life. And to us, think about this, put on your thinking caps for just a moment as we embark in Ecclesiastes. When you think about success, what does that really mean to you? Like, like I understand success and, call, you know, climbing the corporate ladder and, and being the boss. and uh, I get all that. But I want you to know, success in life, what does that mean? You go, what, it, well, what, what does it mean? Well, here's what it means. To us, success means totally satisfied. Totally satisfied. And so we find ourselves asking the one question almost everyone asks. You ready? Are you satisfied? More importantly, you ask that question to yourself. Am I satisfied? Am I satisfied? Satisfied? Yeah, listen, many people find themselves really unsatisfied with the things of life. You go, why? Honestly, dissatisfaction is a part of the human condition. We're never really satisfied. Never really satisfied. And I believe that's why God gave us the book of Ecclesiastes. 
You go, why so? He, listen, he, he gave us this book to remind us that satisfaction in life, the very things that we look for, well, it's not an external issue that can be appeased by amassing more stuff. But if you think about it, success, satisfaction, is an internal condition of the heart. Jonathan Edwards once wrote, God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And listen, I believe that true satisfaction in this life is possible only to the extent that we have a personal relationship with the Lord. Now, I want to stop you right there because you've come on Wednesday night. You guys are Wednesday nighters. But I want you to think about what, what, what was just said. True satisfaction in life. Now, now, now think about this. We do this all the way around. We think, man, if I could just marry that girl, then things will be great. Uh, she, she's the she, boom, 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 boom. She's the one, and and I'm satisfied. I'll be I'll be totally satisfied if I could. And, and then it moves into material thing. Oh, I could be satisfied if I had that car. If I had that, oh, I would be. This would be. This would be really great. If I had that golf club. If I had all of these things. Oh, that would be nice. But what what we really need to grasp is that satisfaction for you and I, is only possible to the extent, listen, of your personal relationship with Jesus. And my question to you is, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? You see, I think it's time to take a moment and step back. It would behoove each one of us to what Soph calls do a spiritual inventory, find out where we really are, and ask us ourselves, do I have a true, intimate relationship with God? As human beings, a lot of us will go through the motions. We'll, we know a lot about God. We've been taught to pray. So we can pray for, for our, our food. Lord, bless this food. Make it nourishment to our bodies in Jesus' name. Some of us pray. Some of us forget to pray. And we say, "Good, God is good. God is great. Thank you for the food we just ate. And we know how to pray. And we know how to say, God bless you. And we know how to say, brother, how you doing? And, and we've learned the Christianese. And we've learned a lot about God. But I, I, I beg the question to you once again. Do you have a personal relationship with God? You see, if you answered the question, Ben, I'm really not satisfied in this life, then you need to take a step back and go, how's my walk with God? How's my relationship with God? One of the scariest things, and I'll be honest with you, in ministry is that you can do ministry without a personal relationship with God. Come on, somebody. You can do ministry, you can do church, you can put on church, you can do whatever, and you can never, you can go through the day, and you can come up here, and you can put a, a sermon together, and not once ask God what He wants. Now, if it's easy for the pastor, think about how it is for you. You can go through your day. You can do your job. You're good at your job. 
You're good at, at, at communicating. You do what you need to do. And not once have you said, hey, I need to talk to my Father. I need to talk to my Heavenly Father. I need to see, I need to see how we're doing. You see, I've heard of many pastors go, and they'll, they'll go to do a hospital visit, and they'll do a hospital visit, and they'll go see one person, and the Lord begins to prompt them to go see other people, but they won't because they're busy, and you've got a schedule. At 10 o'clock, I've got to be here, and, and, and that's not us. The relationship with Jesus is where he stops you. He says, hey, 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 there's somebody here I want you to pray for. Oh, I don't know them. Hey, God told me to come in here and pray for you. Are you kidding me? I was just asking that if you love me, Lord, you'll send somebody in to pray. We've got to be sensitive to that. As we make our way through this book, I believe we, meet, we have to develop a sixth sense. Now, I'm not talking about the movie where you see dead people. I'm, I'm talking about a sixth sense. You go, I'm, I'm sorry, what do you, what do you mean? Okay, so, so listen, listen, stay with me. One of our problems or the problem is our five senses are always looking at things, if you will, under the sun. Our five senses are always looking at things here on earth. You with me? But in order for your life to have meaning, purpose, there has to be a development of the sixth sense, and that's that, that we're able to call on for the rest of the series. You go, Ben, what's that sixth sense? If you're taking note, jot this down. It's faith. You have to develop that sixth sense of faith. See, that sixth sense, that faith has the power to take us beyond the sun. And not just focus on the here and the now and the things in the earth, but faith actually gives us the ability to look beyond. Very, very important. So here's the question that we need to answer. You ready? How can I learn to be satisfied with what I have? Okay, I want you to ask that question in your own heart. You don't have to say it out loud, but I want you to ask that question quite honestly. How can I learn to be satisfied with what I have? You got it? I want you to jot this down, and I'm going to leave them on the screen for you so you can get that, but there are three principles, three principles that King Solomon is going to give us throughout this book. I'm going to give them to you early, but I want you to write these down. Look at number one with me on the screen. Principle number one, I will be satisfied to the extent that I see everything as a gift from God. I will be satisfied to the extent that I see everything as a gift from God. Now, we're going to hold it up there, but here's what I want you to see. Think about this. Wealth, work, pleasure, power, friends, religion, sometimes suffering, sometimes sickness. Listen to me. Let me say them again. You're not, you're not, you're looking at me like you're wealth, work, pleasure, power, friends, religion, Suffering, sickness, all are a gift from God 
depending on if you are glorifying him in it or not. Now, I just blew your mind. Because you're thinking sickness is not a gift from God. As a matter of fact, we need to curse that. We need to bind it. We need to do. But, 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 but think about this, okay? You're only going to be satisfied, okay? You're only going to be satisfied to the extent that you see everything is a gift from God. Everything. Every circumstances, every, every sickness, every suffering, every... Oh, and, and I've got to be honest with you, I don't. I've gotten away from thinking, wow, this is a gift from God. I feel like, okay, let's put up your dukes. The, the devil's coming. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's do this. See, it would be hard for me to say my wife's cancer eight years ago was a gift from God. It would be hard for me to say that. But you realize that one of the things that we did say, can, I, can we be honest in here? Could we be vulnerable? And one of the things we did say is, okay, and maybe you said this, why us? Why us? Lord, you don't understand, Lord. We left everything in New Mexico to come out here. Lord, we left all our family. We left this, we left that. Why us? You know what the Lord said? Why not you? You see, think about it, guys. I'm only satisfied to the extent where I see everything. Well, well, let's talk about wealth. Let's talk about wealth, right? You go, man. You see, wealth, wealth can be a curse if it brings glory to your name only. Kenneth and Connie Parker, winners of a 25 million jackpot, their 16-year marriage disintegrated in months after they become rich beyond their wildest dreams. Jeffrey Dampier won $20 million, was kidnapped and murdered by his own sister-in-law. In 2002, Jack Whitaker won the largest individual payout in U.S. lottery history. Here's what he said. I can take the money, I can take this much money and do a lot of good with it, with this much money right now. But it didn't work like that. Whitaker's life was consumed by hardship, including the death of his beloved granddaughter, Brandy, who was a victim of a drug overdose and the breakup of his marriage. Let me give you number two, because we've got a lot to cover. Number two says, and here's principle, I will only be satisfied to the extent that I notice what's going on in the lives of others. I will only be satisfied to the extent that I notice what's going on in the lives of others. Did you know that more than 2.6 billion people live on less than $2 a day? We need, as believers, to cultivate a heart by sharing what we have to those in need. It's a work of the Holy Spirit as he begins to speak to you. And he says, here, you need to give. Share. Share. If we're being honest in church, guys, we, 
we tend to, to take our money and, and, and we do about our business. We go get our groceries and stuff. And, and sometimes we're not sensitive to the fact that there are others who are in need and that, and that we could spare 10, 15, 20 extra dollars. And so Solomon is going to remind us that if you really want to be satisfied, you need to notice what's going on in the lives of others. Think about it like this, too. In order to win your friends to Jesus, you need to know what's going on in their lives, or at least be sensitive to that, so you know how to pray, or you know how to say, hey, are you okay? Let me give you number three. I will be satisfied to the extent that I trust God during times of distress. I will be satisfied to the extent that I trust God during times of distress. How so? Well, let me give you an illustration. You go to the doctor, you found a lump, and the doctors and, and what happens? Until you go to the doctor, you have a lump and you have anxiety, don't you? You're you're really stressed out about it, and it brings anxiety, and then and then you go to the doctor and they do a biopsy and you get the results and they tell you, Oh, it's nothing. And what happens? And all of a sudden it becomes gratitude. You're like, Oh, thank <sighs> But listen, saints of God, listen to me. We find our degree of satisfaction has a lot to do with perspective. God will allow times of distress to teach us to be satisfied in Him and only Him. I'll never forget when I got really stressed out, really distressed about a job. You know, you have one of those days and it's worse than one of those days and you think, man, I just got to get out of this job. I just got to leave. And so what I did, instead of being satisfied and trusting in God and really and really focused and, and really uh, leaning into the Lord, I, I, I'd call up connections that I made. Hey, listen. Hey, man, man, they, they're treating me over here. Hey, you got something? Yeah, bro, but you're going to have to move to South Carolina. Baby, do you want to move? No, we're not moving to South Carolina. You know, and, and, and so what I would do is I would try to take care of it to what to bring a little satisfaction and yet God wanted to teach me that that I, I've got to understand that there are going to be times of distress so that I can learn to be satisfied in Him. First Thessalonians chapter five verse eighteen says this in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now notice the word everything. In everything give thanks. Thanks. Ben and Raina are here tonight, and if they were to leave after service and just got a mile down the road, headed home, and they decided they found out they had a flat tire, I sure would like to see Ben get and go, Oh, praise the Lord! Amen! I got a flat tire! This is great! It's only dark! and Yeah! But the Bible says in everything, give thanks. You go, I can't give thanks for a flat tire. This is crazy. This is nuts. But what if, what if the Lord purposely had you run over this nail because he was saving you from a bad accident three or four or ten miles down the road? See, it's all about perspective. Now, I pray that never happens to Ben. I hope his tires outlive him. But you guys understand 
It's about perspective. And, and this is so hard. Come on, you guys, you're looking at me like, this is so hard for us to rejoice and give thanks in everything? That's what he says. And so, as we make our way verse by verse through this book, Let's continue to look for the principles that Solomon says bring satisfaction. Why? True satisfaction can only be found with a true relationship with the Lord. We need to develop and learn our sixth sense, what is faith. Okay, so lots of work to do. Let me give you some background. The Word of God and the Bible here specifically will address success and satisfaction. This is what he's going to talk about. Um, it's going to address it a lot, but specifically, it's going to address it, get this, it's going to address it in five books that stand together in the middle of the Old Testament. Five books. You ready? If you're taking note, these are called wisdom literature. Wisdom literature, these five books. And you go, well, well what are they? Well, again, think about it. If people told you they had one of their favorite verses... Most likely, it probably came out of one of these five books. You go, what are they? Number one, it's the book of Job. That's called wisdom literature. It's also the book of Psalms, the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs, or otherwise known as the Song of Solomon. Each book carries its own purpose. The book of Proverbs is really how you find success. How to be wise. Psalms, man, going through Psalms is one of my personal favorites. The writings of, uh, of, of King David, man, and, and here's what I love about King David. We can all relate to King David. You know, there are times when King David is like king of the mountain, and he's like, he's like, and then there's time he's really emo over here, and he's like, oh, Lord, and, and, and man, I can relate to this. There are times when, when I'm just like, I'm feeling good, and I'm walking on sunshine, and, and there's other times when I'm... I'm just like King David. And then you have the Song of Songs. Oh, what a book. The Song of Songs is a book about sex and the celebration of sex. In fact, it's so graphic, Song of Songs, the young Hebrew boys are actually forbidden to read it until they get a little bit older. But it's so beautiful because there's a great application on how God loves us. And it's a beautiful book. Then you have two books left, don't you? You go, what what books were they? Well, then you have the book of Job, and you have the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, here's what I want you to form in your mind. The book of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes, they sort of form... um, Man, they, they sort of form one lesson, if you will. They sort of form one lesson from two opposite sides of the spectrum. You go, what do you mean? Well, I mean, think about it. Think about it. Job, you guys remember? Job was, 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 was on a different planet than, than Solomon. And, and, and think about Job. Satisfaction and joy in the book of Job, even though things got real, real bad. Job, he would sit in ashes, completely poor, dogs licking his wounds. And he arrives at the end of it all by saying this, quote, We have no hope on earth. Our only hope is beyond the sun. End quote. Well, Solomon was definitely no, no Job. 
Solomon. If I came today and I said, hey, you have a choice. You could be a Job here today, or you could be a Solomon. Everybody on this side would come over here and go, I want to be a Solomon. I want to be a Solomon. You know what? I want to, because, because Solomon had it all. He, he did everything. You understand that. I mean, we're going to talk about Solomon like, like we throw our little parties and we think we had a good time, right? We, we, we hired karaoke. Some of you even hired a band and, and you ha- you're having a good time. Solomon goes like, Psh, please. I don't know what, what cover band you hired. I had enough money. I hired the real band. I brought them in. Then you go, wow, Pastor, you should check out my garden. I've got a great garden, Solomon says, please. I didn't plant a garden. I planted forests. I mean, and he's looking for satisfaction. I think of Solomon in the ways of intimacy. And Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Which are wives, but they didn't get all. They didn't. They didn't get any of the stuff. Every guy's dream is to be Solomon. Wow, a different woman every night. <laughs> wow, I can't believe this. Solomon says, Pfft. "It wasn't satisfaction. There's no satis. I wasn't satisfied." And so now, as we jump into the think about this, think about satisfaction. Picking it up, the book of Ecclesiastes, verse 1, remember the principles, it says this, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanities. If you have a pencil handy, you can circle that word for preacher. Uh, another word for it is teacher, Basically, he's saying, listen, I am the preacher, I'm the teacher. In other words, Solomon wants to teach us something. Okay? He goes, hey, these are the words of the teacher. He says, the son of King David. Wow. We know him as Solomon, and I want you to think about Solomon for just a moment. I want you to think about him, his life growing up. Okay? Because the statement right off the gate, he's going... It's all vanity. And you're going, whoa, hold on, Solomon, bro, time out. (laughs) Slow down. Are you kidding? What do you mean it's all vanity? I'd like to try some of those two things. And you guys know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Because when it comes to money, you go, listen, I don't want to win 25. Okay, I'd like to try it once. I'd like to try being rich just once. And, and, And we have that in our hearts because we've never had it where we have, where we have, uh, chauffeurs, and we have maids, and we have all of these things, and and uh, think about Solomon growing up. Solomon never wanted for anything. Had everything a kid could ever want. He, that's how he grew up. And now he's the king of Jerusalem, and right now Solomon is king of everything and and grasp that he's king. And you go, Ben, I'm not sure what you mean. Okay, I'm trying to paint a picture here where, where, where Solomon is very prosperous, very wealthy, very powerful. 
He's leading a very powerful nation. He has more money than anyone ever. He has more power, more fame than you will ever, 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 ever have. He's more educated. He has, from the second he was born, the privilege and the tutors on how life works. When it comes to Solomon, think about this. This is not some guy off the street. He is beyond us, if you will, honestly, in terms of education, wealth, and power. He's beyond us. And then he comes to verse 2. Notice what he says, verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the teacher. Vanity of vanities. It's all vanity. Now, I think it's important you understand what the word vanity means. Because if you look it up, it actually is the Hebrew word hebel, H-E-B-E-L. It's used 30 times, but here's what it means. It means emptiness, meaningless. Emptiness and meaningless. So now you have this powerful, rich, amazingly, I mean, this, this, here's this king, and he tells you, All is worthless. All is meaningless. All, everything has no meaning. Everything under the sun, everything that is, is meaningless. In fact, in all 12 chapters, he uses this same word. And he's going to use the word meaningless 38 times in 12 chapters. 38 times. So my question to you, or if I was having coffee with Solomon, I'd say, Solomon, dude, hey, listen. Listen, you're, you're, you're blowing my mind right now because why would you say everything's meaningless? Like, like I can understand Job. I, I, I got Job. Job. I mean, more of us have, have kind of have kind of related with Job, if you will, than, than, than you saw. I mean, you're, you're King David's boy. I mean, you grew up not wanting a, a silver spoon in your mouth. You've had money. You've had education. You've had tutors. This, this is you, man. What are you, what are you talking about? Why is everything meaningless, Solomon? Well, look at verse 3 with me. He says... What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? And so I'm taking a sip of my coffee going, what? No, 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 Ben, let me, let me ask you a question. What? What profit has a man from all his labor? Well, you know what I heard, Solomon? I don't have to go to work tomorrow. <laughs> that's what I heard. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. He says... What profit has a man from all his labor which which he toils under the sun? Here's why he believes it's meaningless. Because for all our work, all our labor, for all we do, he, he realizes that we're going to die and we're going to leave this place unchanged. And I want you to put on your thinking caps for just a moment. For all that we do... And all that we accomplish, whether you get up at 5 in the morning or you sleep till 10, no matter what you do, he says you're going to die and you're going to leave earth unchanged. 
What profit has the man from all his labor? What profit? The only thing that matters and the only things that are real are the things that can be touched and handled. And it's this philosophy of the five senses being what makes something real and right. That's why, as believers, we have to develop that sixth sense, that sixth sense of faith. Notice verse 4. Solomon writes, One generation passes away, and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises and goes down, and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes towards the south and turns around to the north, and the wind whirls about continually and comes again on this circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, and yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. Guys, think about what Solomon just told us. Okay? You, you, I'm telling you, this is, this is a wildly popular book, man. You're like, yeah, I went to Calvary Wednesday night, and I walked out super bummed, man. Solomon said, all's, all's meaningless. Life is worth... No, no, no. It, he's, saying, he's saying life is a vicious circle, man. It's a vicious circle. He says, think about this. He goes, man, one generation passes and another one comes. You know, we bury all the old folks, in a sense, and as they get older and our grandmas and grandpas, and, and we bury them in 80 and 90, and rightfully so, go on and be with Jesus. But in the same time, we're giving birth to brand new babies. It's, it's just what's, I mean, Solomon said that, and, and here we are in 2023. Are you kidding me? He says, but the earth, man, just keeps on turning. The sun also rises, and the sun goes down. Now, Solomon being the wisest man in the world, he wasn't talking about, well, let's see, um, the sun doesn't really say it, it's the earth that's, he, he not, he's, just, he's just giving us the point of, think about this, this is just what happens every day. As a matter of fact, there's not a one of us, maybe one of us in here, I don't know. I'm going to shoot myself in the foot, but, but uh, there's not a one of us that thinks, is the sun going to rise tomorrow? Please just get up. I mean, it might be some clouds, but we just, there it is. Now, you might be, you might be that personality that goes, I need to check the weather. It's going to be 105 degrees tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. But you don't think, I wonder if the sun's going to come up tomorrow. Because all the days of your life, all the days of my life, all the days of your life, the sun's come up. It's come up. There's never been a morning where you went, Larry, I'm not sure if it's coming. What do we do? We never did that, do we? We just, we just go about our business. We go about our business. And of course, if Solomon's talking to us about wind, you know, think about that. I mean, here, here in, in Lubbock, I mean, with the wind, it's like, you know, one day it's blowing this way and all your furniture goes over there and then you wait a few days and then it blows all the way back and you're fine. I mean, that's just how it is. It's just back and forth. But what he wants us to get at, guys, is that we see a vicious circle and he says, life is really like a treadmill. Life is like a treadmill. Can I tell you a secret about my wife? She hates the treadmill. Once October comes, oh, you'll see it. You'll, if you'll watch her face, you'll see it. 
because she's like, if I have to get, she'll go in the garage, she'll get on the treadmill, and she'll run, and she hates every minute of it. Because the treadmill is you're moving, but you're not going anywhere. She likes to go outside and run and see things and sing and birds. And and Solomon's warning us. He goes, that's kind of how life is. It's like, (sighs) 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 look at verse 8 with me, guys. He says, all things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Let me give it to you in the New Living. I like the way the New Living says, everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we're not content. So he's talking about this non-satisfying existence that we get ourselves into. And he looks at it and he says, no matter what you see, I mean, think about it, we're never satisfied. No matter what you hear, oh, how wonderful you are, we're never satisfied. I want you to do a little experiment in your head. And it's just a crazy experiment. First and foremost, if you ever get in a group picture... I don't care who you are. The very first person you look for is you. And then from there, you make a judgment call, don't you? Oh, I don't like the way I look in that. Am I really that fat? No, I'm not that. No, it's the bad camera angle. No, okay. But it's a group picture. We had fun. What about the other people? I don't care about the other Look at that. And we're never satisfied. I better do 50 more crunches. And then, I, I don't know, maybe as we get older, Joe, help me. If we get older, we don't care anymore. <laughs> we just go, that's me. Pass the tacos. I don't know. But I know what Solomon is saying. He's going, listen, listen. He goes, no matter what we see, we're not satisfied. No matter what we hear, you're never you're never satisfied. He says, everything, I mean, I mean everything is just labor. Wake up in the morning, you look, and whoever's in the mirror, man, you're just like, oh, when do these wrinkles get here? I'm not sure about that. Man, we're just, are you kidding me? You start pulling your face, and, 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 and that's how we are. But there's something in us that just, we're not satisfied. And therefore, we have a billion-dollar industry for creams and lotions and tummy tucks and workouts and gyms and everything else. But Solomon is really trying to get to the heart of the issue. Look, look at verse 9. He says in verse 9, That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said? See, this is new. It's already been in the ancient of times before us. In other words, what Solomon is saying, here's the perspective, guys, is there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. No, 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 Pastor, Solomon's got it wrong. We've 
we've had technology and man i can go to the grocery store and just and just go beep and and, and it pays for my and it does all this stuff pays for my technology is new no 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 they they it's not new it's starting to get advanced if you go with us to israel in february you will see that some of the roads and some of the the way they constructed the the temple mount on the bottom was is beyond engineering even to this day how they've got the stones up there how they did how the roads i mean the roman roads were done with nothing's new under the sun listen People like to pretend that life isn't meaningless. People like to pretend that they're not on the treadmill of life. That their life isn't stuck in this circular rut of boredom. And you know how they do it? They do it by getting trinkets and pretending that those trinkets are a new idea. And Solomon says, in the end, they might, have, they might have more color to them, but they're not new. There's nothing new. And what he's saying here is that trinkets and new things are a deceptive part of the circular silliness. And then, because there's always the alpha males out there, and they come and they say, no, 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 not me. I'm going to change the known universe, and I will do such a great job in business, such a phenomenal job with my family, that the memory of me will live on for generations. All right. Well, if you're an alpha man, you're saying that. Look at verse 11 with me. Solomon says, hey, by the way, there's no remembrance of the former things, nor will be any remembrance of the later things yet to be among those who come after. You know what Solomon said? He goes, hmm. He says, you're going to die, and no one's going to remember you. Now that is a wake up. Isn't that sad? I feel like, I feel like taking Solomon and, and, and helping him with, with maybe some Prozac or something. I mean, Solomon's just really bummed. Don't you understand? Hey, Solomon, li- listen, do you, do you need a hug? <laughs> Solomon, do you need a hug? Why? Because he's just saying, he's just going, hey, listen, listen, here's the thing. You think, you, you think everything is like, no, not for me, man. I'm going to take, and he's going, no, 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 listen, you and you alone, there's nothing new. He says, and by the way, oh, listen, you're going to die, <clears throat> and a hundred years from now, nobody's going to know your name. Nobody's going to know your name. I mean, think about this. Does anyone... Does anybody really know their great, 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 great grandfather's name? You're like, no. Solomon says, I'm so sorry, but 50, 60, 100 years from now, people won't remember you. Verse 12, he says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. And he goes, and I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under heaven. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of men by which they may be exercised. 
And I've seen all the works that are done under the sun. And indeed, all is vanity and grasping for the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be numbered. So, think about Solomon. In all of the wisdom, he says, in all this wisdom, he would that alone wouldn't satisfy. And Solomon goes, you know what? And it... And it doesn't. So what does he do? Listen, what he, here's what he does. He says, I'm going to devote myself, you ready? To search for understanding and explore by wisdom everything done here on earth. I'm going to do that. And I soon discovered that God had dealt a tragic existence to the human race. He says, all I see, it's like grasping for the wind. That's what he sees. Grasping for the wind. Why is Solomon such a bummer, dude? Why is he so down? Here's why. We're going we're gonna to close our Bible study with the next two verses. Don't, don't close your, your, your Bible yet, because he's still going to speak. But, but let's stop for just a moment and let's think. Why is, why is Solomon telling us that? Here's why. Listen to me. Listen. This is where it's going to get deep and nitty-gritty. Because every one of us keeps looking for satisfaction and we keep looking for it in the wrong places. We look for satisfaction in a relationship and we will leave the God we love for this relationship, hoping it will bring internal satisfaction. Oh, oh, no, 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 my relationship with my wife is great, whatever, whatever. But then we'll look for it in, in, in other stuff. Some of us will look for it in toys. Oh, if I could just have a boat, if I could just have this house, if I could just have all, it'll bring this satisfaction. And, and, um, and what Solomon tries to remind us is that apart from Jesus Christ, in the extent of being satisfied in him alone, we'll never be satisfied with stuff. You won't be. You won't be satisfied with stuff. As a matter of fact, you'll leave the God you love for the stuff. You go, no, I won't. Well, somebody's got to pay for it. And so if you say, hey, listen, um, here's what we can afford in our house. Um, wow, this is crazy. We got approved for for $500,000 house. We can't make the payments. Guess what? Love the house. And But now I've got to work, and I've got to work seven days a week, and I've got to do two jobs, I've got to do three jobs, I've got to pay for that house. And I love the house, but it, now it's starting, to, it's starting to get a little old, this house. And, and, and the funny story is I went to my friend's house, and he had a bigger house, and I like his house more. It had this room, and it had that room, and so forth, and so forth. And so... Well, what else? Well, maybe it's not big stuff. Maybe it's not wealth. Maybe it's not anything. But, but, but think about this. We're trying to find satisfaction and everything. If 
For some men, they call it notches on their bedpost. Oh, I slept with so many women. And if we're being honest, in, in an adult kind of way, sex satisfies for just a moment. You, you with me? It, 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 it's wonderful. God created it. Don't get me wrong. But it doesn't bring everlasting satisfaction. And that's why... And so it's not found in relationships. It's not found in, in, in just having sex and, 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 and even intimacy with, with the woman you love or just random sex. You guys understand that he, he's trying to paint a picture that there's something in, that we have to develop in our hearts that has to be far above the eyes and the ears and the smell, has to be far above what we see on earth so that we can be satisfied. We can be satisfied. What happens to you? Well, whatever God wants to do, amen. Well, you got a flat tire, Ben? Praise God, what a gift. What a gift. God saved you. God saved you. Are you saying that cancer is a gift? It could be. It could be if it glorifies God. Not that God gave you cancer, but if your perspective is right, Whatever you're going through can be a gift as you glorify God around those because the, the world is watching. The world is watching. I don't know if you know this, but we're all part of a family business. You understand that, okay? We've gone into business with the Lord Jesus. And he's called every one of us to propagate the gospel, to tell people about Jesus. Now, again, it's, it, 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 Lord, forgive me. It's, it seems extra hard in Lubbock where people go, oh, no, I'm saved. I go to church here. I go to church there. I'm talking about the gospel. I'm talking about getting the gospel down deep in the heart where, where, where you're sharing it with people out of love and compassion and mercy, and they're seeing a difference in your life. See, we're in family business, and we need to be doing that business as a family. Solomon goes, listen to me. Listen, I know what you guys are thinking. If I'm going to devote myself to find out what brings satisfaction. If it's partying, let's party. If it's planting, let's planting. If it's education, let's go. If it's with, he's going to fall. If, if it's women, I'll tell you what I found. And that's what he's going to do. Let's close. Let's close with the last two verses. And I want you to notice what he says. There's still some awesome dialogue here, okay? Because he's going to talk about a high life and a lower life. Uh, 116, Ecclesiastes chapter 116 says, I communed with my heart saying, Look, I have attained greatness, and I've gained more wisdom than all who are ever before me in Jerusalem. My heart has understood great wisdom and knowledge, and I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that these things are also grasping for the wind. What, wait, 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 Pastor Ben. What did Solomon just say? I mean, what did he say? He says this. What I did first is I went and I went to the highbrow Root first. 
says, let me tell you what I did. He says, I marbled everything and encrusted it with gold. He says, I ate caviar. I drank crystal. I went to the opera. I went to all the right clubs. I spent my wealth and my power. I played polo. And I did all that the rich and famous do. And I found it meaningless. And so, after that, after I had acquired all the stuff and all the things, and all the stuff that rich people do, he says, I decided it was meaningless. So I looked down and found some not-so-rich from the other side of the tracks, brothers of mine. He says, and so I went and hung out with them. Solomon, what did you do? Well, I burned stuff. I played horseshoes. I went to NASCAR. I ate macaroni and cheese with Hamburger Helper. And you know what I found? All that was meaningless too. You see, what Solomon is telling us right now, he says, I lived a wealthy life and the simplicity isn't the answer. He says, on the other end, I had nothing and life was unbelievably simple and it was still vanity. It was still meaningless. And the thing is, these two groups always look at each other and think the other has the better off. You see, the poor look to the wealthy and say, oh man, if I just had more wealth, And the wealthy go, oh, if life was just simpler. And then they want each other's life. And Solomon's like, "Um, yeah, I did them both. And they're pretty much both lame and meaningless. And then he comes to verse 18 and he says, For in much wisdom is much grief. But he who increases in knowledge increases sorrow. Now listen, listen. Here's the question we have to ask ourselves. I'm going to give you two applicational points. Number one, if you ever trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, then the book urges you to do so without delay. If you've you've never trusted him, the book says do it. Why? Here's why. Because no matter how much wealth, how much education, how much social prestige, you may have in life, you may have life without God is futile, and he says you're only chasing after the wind. If you expect to find satisfaction and personal fulfillment in the things of the world, Mark chapter 8, verse 36 says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and lose his own soul? You go, Ben, I'm here on a Wednesday night. I've given my life to the Lord. Well, for those of us who find ourselves in the treadmill of life, we need someone to come from over the sun and come and break it. So the scriptures tell us that Jesus comes. In John 10, he says, He came to give you life to the full. And if you want to hear a really good translation of what's going on, it's John 10.10, I came that he may have life and have it abundantly. He's basically saying this. If 
you're living and or you're living and and you're breathing but you're not alive you're just existing it's me there's life you're existing but you're not really living he says i've come that you might have life for what you were created for Interesting and uh, very quiet start to the book of Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. And let me leave you with one last point. You and I can chase everything that we want to chase. We can chase girls, we can chase boys, we can chase relationships, we can chase money, we can chase wealth, we can chase power. We can chase all of these things, and it'll never satisfy. And what the Word of God is declaring to you, now listen to this carefully, guys. The Word of God is declaring, if you want to be totally satisfied, you need to check your relationship with God. You need to check it. Where am I? Have I really committed to Him? Have I really surrendered completely to Him? If you find yourself here tonight and you're dissatisfied, do a heart check. Lord, what's going on? What's going on? What am I looking for? You know, love in all the wrong places. What am I looking for? And it's only found in you. It's only found in you. So excited to continue in the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your grace and your mercy. Father, uh, I thank you for Solomon. Um, He's teaching us some things. But Father, I feel like we need to be about our, our Father's business a little bit here tonight. Listen, if you're here tonight and you kind of find yourself in the first group the group where you've been sort of chasing and, and, and running after what you thought the world could give you to find, to find success and to find satisfaction. And you, and, and you can honestly say, Pastor, I don't have a relationship with God, and maybe that's what I'm missing. And, and, and as I was speaking tonight and you were hearing these words, the Holy Spirit was, was, was moving in your heart, and you're here tonight and you're saying, you know what, that's what I need. I need Jesus. I need a... I need a full surrender to Jesus. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to to just surrender your life to Him. You see, God's standing with His arms wide open, and He says, man, I am all you will ever need, and I will bring beautiful satisfaction and peace in your life. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. But maybe you're here tonight, and you're part of the second group, and, and, and somewhere along the line, you've lost your way. And you're like, man, I, I, I'm, really, I'm really struggling because I, I, I keep trying to find satisfaction in my marriage. I keep trying to find satisfaction in my children and in the house and the cars and the job and, and all of this stuff when really I just need to surrender to you. And, and you're a believer, but, but you, you sort of lost your way. Well, I want to pray for you too because I feel tonight would be the night for you to come back and surrender and say yes to him. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, how many of you would say tonight, maybe the Lord is speaking to you?
and you're saying, Pastor Ben, would you just pray for me? I feel like I need to surrender my life completely. I've never had a relationship with God, and I want to give my life to him tonight. I want, to, I want to find that satisfaction in him. If that's you, would you just lift up your hand so I can pray for you? Would you say, Pastor, pray for me? I want Jesus. If you've never had a relationship, if, you, if you've had a relationship, if you feel like you're saved, but you've lost your way, I want to pray for you too. Nobody's going to see you. I'll see you. I'm going to acknowledge you. But if you're going, Pastor, pray for me. I, I, I'm, I'm ready to surrender, and, and I, want, I want the love. I want, I want the joy of my salvation back. I only want to be satisfied in him. Nothing else matters tonight. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Would you just lift up your hand to you and say, Pastor, pray for me. I've lost my way. God bless you, sister. Anyone else saying, I've lost my way? Just, just, just want to be satisfied in him. Lift up your hand so I can see you. God bless you. I got you. I got you. Anyone else? You, you've allowed this stuff to just, to just get in the way. And, and right now, you're making a declaration to God, saying, it's all him. I just want God. Would you? I just want to pray for you. I feel like the Lord is just, the, the Holy Spirit's moving. But I got I to gotta pray for you. So to those of you feeling like you need to lift your hand, just do it real quick. Father, I thank you for the hands that were raised, Lord. I thank you for those that are going, Lord, I, I just want to surrender to you. I love you. I thank you for, for those beautiful, beautiful people who feel like they've lost their way in a sense, just a little bit, off, off track, just a hair. And they're saying, ah, okay, okay. I've, whew, perspective. I've got perspective. So if you raised your hand on that, I'm praying for you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord come in. May he fill you. And may you leave here with just a different light in you. In the light of Jesus Christ. I pray. It's his work. In the name of Jesus we pray. And all who agreed said, We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.